lightning recap. Two couples sit around a table drinking probably too much gin. They have conversations about the nature of love, about past relationships, about a couple that went through a car accident. It's pretty uncomfortable for everyone, including and especially the reader. And then it ends unexpectedly and ambiguously. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. And I am Chris here with... Christy Baxter. And Christy... Yes? You might not know it, but the only thing standing between us and certain doom is a short story. And what short story are we using as our shield today? Our shield from certain doom is what we talk about when we talk about love by Raymond Carver. That's right. It's week two of Raymond mania. And that's the end of Raymond mania because there's not very many other Raymonds in short story writing. Yeah, there's Raymond Jones, but he uh, his stuff is not widely available. <laughs> but still worth seeking out if you have a chance, if you can buy 1950s science fiction magazines. Neither here nor there. I find it also shocking that this story is being used as a shield against doom because this is kind of a heavy, jerky story. <laughs> jerky could be used in a couple of meanings there. And I, I see I see what you're doing and I appreciate it. Yes, it is it is heavy. It's it's just a conversation. During that conversation, uh the participants, mainly one one participant but a little bit uh two of the four tell stories within the story and it feels uncomfortable which is probably the intent but uh i don't think i was ready what's fascinating about it and i'll set aside everything that i love about raymond carver in general because he is really a master of the form but what i really love about it is how uncomfortable he can make you with your own assumptions. Yes, that is absolutely true. I found my assumptions kind of being challenged a little bit as I was reading it and constantly being shifted as to, you know, my expectations as to what might happen. Turned out nothing really happened. Um, but, but what might be said next, how the conversation might flow, how people might behave, all of those things got turned on their heads a couple of times. And it was always gradual. It's very mm -hmm. much the, the frog in the pot of boiling water where something is maybe escalating and it, it might not escalate to the point of blowing up, but there's definitely some simmering going on here. And yeah, it's, it, it makes you feel a little awkward. Makes me feel really awkward. First off, these two couples at the table, I, I had the picture, the establishment of it. And then I just completely lost it in the fact that not only was every character unlikable, but every scenario was unlikable. <laughs> yes. You know what? Um, this story gave me 
some cat on a hot tin roof vibes, but like maybe a couple of days before the events of cat on a hot tin roof. Like maybe, maybe this is something that happened in the past for those characters, the fairly recent past, but it definitely, I, I literally, as I was reading it, I was like, what is that? Elizabeth Taylor movie and I looked it up real quick because I could not remember the name I was like oh, immediately cat on a hot tin roof and yeah I just got those vibes and I uh, that's a movie that makes me uncomfortable so it fits it's suitable but yes there's definitely uh, as far as characters are concerned we don't really have anybody likable um it, you have two couples here and they're they're just sitting around a table having a conversation and drinking with probably more gin than they should. <laughs> <laughs> and and they seem to be friends, but one of the couples seems the the, the doctor uh, and his wife seem to have a little bit more uh, Mel and Terry seem to have a little bit more experience in relationships uh, than than Laura and our narrator here. Mm -hmm. And you definitely feel like there's a possibility that Laura and the narrator could be someday this could be their future. Yes. I think you are absolutely right. I think what you're seeing is, I think the whole reason this story exists is because of reflection that it is uh, the older couple looking back and seeing themselves in the narrator and I'll completely mess up the names every time. Laura was the other one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then the other way, looking at, oh, this is what we could be. But then as the conversation goes on, I think everyone sort of makes realizations that manifest into nothing. Yes. And that's what annoys me about this story the most. While at the same time, I recognize it takes a really, really good writer to keep you going to the end of this story. Yeah, to keep you going through what is essentially, uh, if, if you don't put any future expectations on these couples, if you just look at the moment in the present, to keep you going through what is essentially a, a conversation between two couples, one of whom uh, are, is inching towards bitterness and a, a little bit of, of nastiness and disagreement, the other of whom is is sort of real bland and optimistic but there's not much else there there's no real events happening there's just these little moments of discomfort and little moments of anger like oh my gosh when he tells her to shut up when mel tells harry to shut up i was it's 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 a little thing but there's definitely shades of abuse there and mm -hmm. so it's it just yeah it's 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 amazing that he can keep you going right through the end which we'll talk about the end. I don't want to get there just yet. <laughs> I always want to jump to the end, but it's amazing that he can keep you going right through to the end with this, because there's this constant feeling that it's on the verge, that something's going to happen and then nothing does, but then you're still thinking something's going to happen, even though that expectation has been thwarted time and time again. And what I, I see as a really brilliant technique was he was having the stories they were telling being the stories that we would be seeing most other writers deal with. But instead, he's giving us the reflections on them in theoretically the most boring way possible. Yeah. Uh, but it's like my dinner with Andre. 
uh, except for instead of talking about art happenings, they're talking about basically uh, massive levels of abuse and uh, suicide. So. Yeah, the the stories that are told, and it's mainly Terry and Mel, the, the, the couple that's probably older, telling them are like the stories that you would expect to be reading, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I guess I think that's part of what you get caught up in is you get caught up in the stories that the characters are telling. And so it's sort of like eavesdropping on a conversation or sitting in the next room while some, you know, vague acquaintances are getting getting hammered and, mm -hmm. and talking, which in real life sounds really boring. <laughs> but you know we've all done it that's the thing that bugs me is we that have, yeah yeah very much like lust very much like uh, uh that other story we read where i was uncomfortably squirming because it was uncomfortably natural um this is stuff you know i've had the round the dinner table dinner party with another couple and we all get a few in it and we all start talking about stuff that is probably best left in the bottle <laughs> and that sort of recognition i mean i'm 95 percent sure this story is about a very uncomfortable set of drinks that raymond carver had uh and knowing his reputation he probably had a lot of these nights of drinks <laughs> it has a very very personal feel to it and i think that's one of the reasons why it works so well because he's literally telling a story about telling a story, but it's he's telling a story about something that gave him a sensation that he manages to pass along because he is such a master of language. And that is like the the hyper realism of it that he's it, it, that is so difficult to take a moment and a feeling that you have and bottle it up and then be able to pour it out onto the page. And mm -hmm. have it be something that is so natural and yet also uncomfortable and squirmy <laughs> and just pour it all out there. Yes, that is absolutely masterful. And I also appreciated uh, his uh, occasional, at the very beginning, there were things that I honestly, not to be sexist or anything, well, to be sexist, don't expect from, from male authors describing women by things like jewelry and manicures and little things that we don't always get, you know, we, we might get, you know, if it's, if it's really bad, she was wearing a tight fitted striped shirt, <laughs> you know, something like that. But no, we get descriptions of, oh, she, she favored turquoise jewelry and dangly earrings mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I'm just sitting there and like, I think that made my, my fall even more precipitous because I was like, oh okay all right he's giving me jewelry that's nice and then i was like oh no he's uh, giving me awkwardness and discomfort and this feeling of like uh i shouldn't be here <laughs> yes. i shouldn't have come what i my feeling from this was especially terry and mel they are that couple that you spend a long time not seeing and eventually you reach a point where you're like why don't we hang out with them anymore? We should hang out with them. Let's go over there and have some drinks. And you get there and you've been there for about half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. And you're like, oh, oh, oh that's why. That's why um, I remember now. <laughs> yeah, that's awkward. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah, and I think, I think one thing that can definitely be said about this is 
this is a story about, well, nothing. Um, but it's really a story that is not about the ending. It is literally about the journey because that's literally all there is. Yeah, yeah, it is. That that, that, that is all there is, the journey. I, I will say I am totally comfortable and fine with ambiguous endings, but this was such an ambiguous ending that I thought that my PDF had been cut short. <laughs> I had to go find another copy on the internet to verify that that was where it ended. And I will read like the last paragraph or something. Mel turned his glass over. He spilled it out on the table. Gin's gone, Mel said. Terry said, now what? I could hear my heart beating. I could hear everyone's heart. I could hear the human noise we sat there making, not one of us moving, not even when the room went dark. That's it. <laughs> That's it. And you sit there and it's almost a surprise ending in how ambiguous it is because you're, you're surprised that it ended. <laughs> and what I actually, so here's my issue with the ending. One, yeah, it solves nothing. It answers nothing because there were no questions raised. But there were a lot of questions raised in the reader. For example, why is she defending Ed? Which, yeah. which is, you know, this is this might actually be more misogynist than Raymond Chandler. Uh, <laughs> really dig into it. Uh, but it doesn't answer the question, but it closes the door so thoroughly as to what this meant. And what it meant is nothing. It just faded away. And I find that that little aspect of it to be really, really perfect for the type of story it was. Let me rephrase that for the type of writing piece that it was, because it wasn't a story. It was <laughs> just a bunch of stuff that kind of happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on that. It wasn't a story. It was uh, like you said, a, a, a writing piece about people telling stories. It was almost like somebody sat in the room and transcribed it, but also incorporated a few of their feelings, but there's no real plot to be held. You mm -hmm. can have a couple of maybe subplots, which is weird that there is not a plot, but there's subplots. There's the, the, the Terry and Ed subplot where, you know, he abused her and then tried to commit suicide a couple of times and had really just was brutally wrong in his methods. And uh, then a, an old couple that got in a wreck on the highway and the, their, you know, hospitalization. And that's basically it. Those are your subplots of the plot that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, you got to admire a guy for having the guts to do it and even more admire the guy for having the guts to do it and then have it be accepted. <laughs> that's the incredible thing. Yeah, it really is impressive. I did read somewhere that there was more when I went to go look and, and find if there was more <laughs> after my surprise ending, after my, uh, I guess, uh, after my Sopranos <laughs> season finale moment, which is exactly the same thing, just cut to black mm -hmm. um, after that. Uh, I went to go see and there was a description of several paragraphs that continued past the point of, of where the ending actually was. And it was like, well, Raymond Carver originally had this in as the ending and then cut it back, I think on the advice of an, an editor, maybe of his own, I can't remember if it was his own idea or not, and, but. And what's amazing is I actually have a copy of that uh, ending and it, it's actually much shorter than you described. It's more like, uh, and there quietly rose Ed, gore dripping from his fangs as he tore into the four of them quietly <laughs> quietly 
quietly. And see, <laughs> that is, I think that, that is ending pretty... worked. <laughs> I think it did. I think it did. Yeah. Yes, but I I will not say enough that the way that Carver uses languages, language in particular, just English mostly, uh, is as a is as less a way of interesting people in what he is talking about than it is to coerce them into keep it going forward. And I really actually kind of appreciated that because there were a couple of times where I was like, come on, someone throw a goddamn pie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But then it would be like, oh, no, he's kind of, he's giving me just enough that I got to keep, uh, God damn it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's an infuriating story. And yet at the same time, I'm 100% sure that's what he wanted to do. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this was absolutely his his plan. He executed his plan and then he put it out there into the world and uh, more more power to him for that. Yeah. So this is not going on my uh, action-packed thrill ride shelf. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I did want to say I appreciated as far as you were talking about his mastery of language, how this could also sort of be a characterization thing but he really nailed that arrogant guy has one too many drinks and he did it and again it's the frog in the pot of boiling water where if anybody's not familiar i guess there's this idea that if you put a frog in a pot of, of lukewarm water and then turn it to you know start boiling the pot the frog won't notice until, <laughs> until it's dead you know so but and that's how you you are with that you don't really quite notice that mel's drunk until he is it's just these little hints like where he repeats himself and then finally mm -hmm. where he gets to the point where he's 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 an intelligent guy he's a cardiologist for god's sakes and he's saying you know like he's calling the vassals you know uh, the the medieval serfs kind of he, he's calling them vessels and then he gets mm -hmm. corrected and he's he's kind of a jerk about it um and so yeah i really appreciated how he 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 sort of it was like you were sitting there watching somebody slowly get drunk. Yeah. And yeah, this would make a great, I guess it wouldn't be a double feature because one's a movie and one's a story. Uh, the Day of Wine and Roses, Days of Wine and Roses, uh, one of the truly great drinking films ever. Right up there with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, <laughs> two of my mm -hmm. favorites. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would, it would be right up there. Yeah. So you got anything else on this one? I believe that that is all I have actually. Yeah, it was it was definitely interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you that it's not on my thrill ride list. So <laughs> excellent. Hey, you know what that reminds me of, Christy? What does that remind you of, Chris? We could do this again next week, but with a different story. That is a brilliant idea. How do you always come up with such brilliant ideas? I'll tell you how, by sitting around a kitchen table drinking, mostly gin. Uh, I am a cardiologist, you know. <laughs> uh, but what, what do you think we should read next week? I think that next week we should read Love is the Plan, The Plan is Death by James Tiptree Jr. I love his slash her slash their work. And I am so excited, much excited. Yes, much excited. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun week. Yes. All right. Well, until then, this has been short story. Short podcast. <laughs>